Psalm, Psalm 66, shout joyfully to God all the earth, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious, say to God how awesome are your works, because of the greatness of your power your enemies will give feigned obedience to you, all the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you, they will sing praises to your name. That's a pretty tall order, isn't it? It is something that I think as we un will uncover, it's, it's God's purpose at work. And uh, I'd, first of all, I'd like for you to take a look. Look at Psalm 65, where we were last week. Verse 1. There will be silence before you and praise in Zion, O God. Now compare that with verse 1 of Psalm 66. Shout joyfully to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. How in the world can that be? It, it seems like these are polar opposites, right? Well, in their very real measure, it is. It's polar opposites. It's silence and it's loud praise. And both are appropriate. Uh, both ends of the spectrum of praise and worship belong to the Lord. The word in, in, um, in Psalm 66, verse 1, shout joyfully, actually means to, um, to, uh, to break. It's, it's almost the invitation to break the ear. It, it is that kind of noise. Uh, split the ear with, with, with sound. And then he says, shout, and then verse 2, sing the glory of his name. What is his name? Who can tell me what his name is? Wonderful. His name is Jesus. His name is wonderful. What else? Adonai? Is that what you said? What else? Yeshua? Yeshua? Yes. God Almighty. God Almighty. Keep going. Jehovah Jireh, don't be bashful. Let's just let it roll. How many names of the Lord Almighty are there? Emmanuel, yes. There are many, many names that describe God. And yet, as we, if we look, uh, Isaiah 42 uncovers for us a description of who God is. Isaiah 42, verse 8, the Lord says, I am the Lord, that my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. I am the Lord. What is that word? It is the word, well, it's the unspeakable name of God, Yahweh. We say Yahweh, we add the vowels, but in truth, there are no vowels. It's Y-H-W-H. -H. That's the English transliteration of that. It's the unspeakable name of God. We get that from Exodus 13, where Moses is encountering God at the burning bush, and, and God speaks to him and says, you are going to go and speak for me to Pharaoh and bring my people out into freedom. And and Moses says to God, uh, verse 13, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And that's that word, Y-H-W-H, -H, that we speak of. It speaks of the self-existent one. He goes on to say, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. 
And this is my memorial name to all generations. It's the unspeakable name. Did you know that uh, within the Hebraic tradition, um, whenever the name of God is, is mentioned, the, the scribes will, will stop their writing and cleanse themselves and then begin to approach writing that name. But it is the unspeakable name. That's because God cannot be described fully, right? This is God Almighty. Now, the psalmist says, sing the glory of his name. What is the glory of his name? Well, the word glory uh, has the connotation of, of weight, um, gravitas, if you want to say. Weight and in and it speaks of splendor and not just splendor but copious splendor, abundance, excess, the glory of his name. It cannot be calculated. Psalm 80, verse 9. The psalmist writes, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. What does that say about the name of God and bringing glory to it? It's the glory of the name of God is the abundance, the far-reachingness of it. It is his fame. It is his reputation. And deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. God, for the sake of your name, for the sake of what other people will think of you, we pray that you will do this. That's the glory of God's name. Verse 3, say to God, how awesome are your works. He says, say to God. You know that worship includes the very deliberate speech. It's something that we, it, it's not simply ecstatic. It's even deliberate speech. Say to God. Some, some would say, I, I really don't like the idea of reading prayers like Andy did before. Because are they coming from the heart? I don't know. Somebody else wrote them. They're coming from somebody else's heart, maybe. No, wait a second. This is deliberate speech. It is something that is very, very specific and something we're invited into, invited to participate with. And, and that's where the psalmist is, is going. He's saying, say this to God. How awesome are your works? Awesome is a, a word that is kind of overused in our culture, right? We've, we talked about this a bit last week. Um, how are you doing? Awesome. Seriously? Do you know what the word awesome really means? In this context, it means uh, fearful, dreadful, causing astonishment. It's kind of like the explosion of Mount St. Helens was awesome. It's overwhelming, frightening even. The, the power of a 50-foot of a tsunami, if you're standing on the beach, that's awesome. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. Say this deliberately. How awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience feigned obedience. What in the world does that mean? There's a word we use just about every day, feign, right? What in the world does that mean? It means to fake it. It means to fake it. Your enemies will what? They will fake their obedience because they don't have any other way to respond to you. They will give 
they, the, the, the original language there speaks of uh, to cringe and cower and submit. Your enemies will submit to you, is what the psalmist is saying. Other translations, the New King James Version says, indeed that, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. The, the New International Version says, so great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. And the English Standard Version says, so great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. The power, the awesome power of God is something that is frightening and overwhelming, especially to an enemy. Now verse 4, all the earth will worship you. And will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. All the earth. What are we talking about here? All the earth? Seriously? And worship you? Worship, the word itself means to prostrate. To, be, to, to fall down flat. Psalm 86, verses 8 to 10. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship. They will prostrate themselves before you, O Lord. They shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Uh, is that happening? Seriously, is that happening? No. In fact, there are nations that hold their hands up like this to God and say, not here. And in their pride and arrogance, they say, not here, not in my life. God, you will not be sovereign. It's interesting that God gives them that freedom now. But when we look at the end of the age, the word is eschatology or eschatological. At the end of the age, what do we know will happen? The judgment, right? The judgment. And yes, every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Paul's recollection of that phrase in Philippians chapter 3, uh, he's describing Jesus who, who emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, becoming obedient to the flesh, even to the point of death. Why? So that we could have relationship with him, right? But he goes on to write, and therefore God highly exalted him. That at his name, every knee should bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul lets that just kind of spill out of him because it was in him. You know where it comes from? It comes from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 to 24. There the Lord says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. That's going to happen. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who are angry at him will be put to shame. Again, it's this picture of the end of the age. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, kind of foreshadows that, that experience 
there where a great multitude that can't be numbered, people from all nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, and crying out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Who is that? Who's the Lamb? Jesus himself. Absolutely. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, I just want to read it to you because it's so glorious. And after these things I look and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation. He says it again. Every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes. And palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. There we see the picture of the saints dressed in white. But they are not alone. They are not alone. All creation, even God's enemies, will bow in submission to him. So let's go back to Psalm 66. After all, that's what we're studying, right? Psalm 66, let's look at verse 5. We see here, what we've, what we've just come through is, I think, a very fitting and wonderful call to worship. We, you've heard of a call to worship, right? That's where somebody says, hey, come and worship. The truth is we need to be invited, right? And that's what the call to worship is all about. Now we come to a section in Psalm 66 where we see a call to see God's works. Look at what God has done is being said. Verse 5, come and see the works of God who is awesome in his deeds towards the sons of men. He turns the sea to dry land. They pass through the river on foot. Let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Hmm, verse 5, who is awesome. We just talked about that word, right? There is a sense of awestruck fear and reverence wrapped up in that. And he is awesome in his deeds towards the sons of men. I find that to be a curious phrase. He is awesome in his deeds towards the sons of men. What is that about? Well, the word toward, curiously enough, means above or over or upon, it can also have, have the, the connotation of being against, but in that connotation, it also carries with it a sense of a downward aspect. In other words, God is over all things. Now, he's awesome in his deeds towards or over looking down upon the sons of men. Now, God is sovereign. He is high above all things, right? He is above all creation. And his actions are not arbitrary. He doesn't, he's not a whimsical God and saying, oh, I think I'll do this today. Or yesterday's eternity. Let's revisit that just for fun. No, he's not arbitrary at all. He's very intentional. And intentionally related to the sons of men. Awesome in his deeds towards looking down upon, crouching over the sons of men. Now, he describes that further. Look how he does that. He says, verse 6, he turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. 
What does that recall to mind? The Red Sea, yes, yes. Andy referenced it again in the call to worship for us this evening. Again, it, it is the picture of God's salvation power being provided from above for his people. That's his awesome power toward the sons of men. I, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's God's power over creation for the benefit of humanity. Verse, verse, he rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. He rules by his might or his power forever. How long is forever? It, did it, is it since creation? You think so? And, and, and beyond that, right? Forever means way beyond that. And very present right now and way beyond the future. Forever. We can't, our, our, our little pea brains can't quite comprehend forever, right? Uh, but that's, that he rules by his might forever. And the consequences of God's awesome work because he is the sovereign king. God is, God's power is manifest when he, he defeats his enemies. He rules by his might forever. He keeps watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious, the, the nations, the word nations there is goyim or Gentiles. And they are under his scrutiny. Understand that God's eyes are not just upon his chosen, they are also upon the goyim or the, the Gentiles, those who don't, do not know God. Now, thank the Lord. Probably most of us in this room are from that camp. We're of the goyim, right? We're of the Gentiles who did not have a relationship with God. But by his grace and mercy, he adopted us as his own. Thank the Lord for that. Amen? Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Uh, you know, I have to say, this is a prayer that God is going to answer. He is going to answer, absolutely. Who are the rebellious? Well, the word rebellious means to turn away from. Um, it also includes the idea of stubbornness. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of, of my dog. Um, Monday night, we, 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 we had been up to the mountains, and, and we came back, took our dog with us, and he did not want to come into the house. And what does he do? He stretches out all fours like this. And what do I do? I pull him along and he's sliding on the floor like this. He's stubborn. He's as stubborn as the day is long. And so are many of us. That's part of rebellion. Yeah, that is part of rebellion. It's not, it's not just the shaking of the fist. It's the standing still and saying, I'm not going to do it. And, and it's important for us to understand that. Anyone who does not submit to God is considered rebellious. Um, if you find yourself, I have, if you find yourself saying, I'm really struggling, struggling to accept God's will in this matter. Uh, maybe you've been praying about something and, and, uh, and you just sense the Lord saying no. But man, you really want to do this thing. But you have the sense that God is saying no. And you say to your friend, I'm really struggling with this. I have a friend who, who used to tell me those, that thing. And, I, and I, I had to just say to him, Paul, 
that's a fight you're not going to win. So you might as well give up now. Stop wasting your energy. God's going to win that fight. Your stubbornness will not stand before him. Let's go on. Verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad. This is a call to give blessing. Who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You have, you, you brought us into the net. And you, you did lay an oppressive burden upon our loins. You, you did make men ride over our heads when we, were, when we went through fire and through water. Yet you did bring us out into a place of abundance. This word bless is it's really interesting because we use the word bless a lot. It's Christianese, right? Oh, what a blessing. God bless you. Somebody sneezes in the aisle next to you at Home Depot. God bless you. And what what does that mean, bless? Well, yeah, certainly I think we mean it get, God give you favor or whatever. But the word bless here in this context, this word here means the act of kneeling in adoration. Kneeling in adoration. I keep, I, I, it's hard for me not to think of the woman who came to Jesus with a flask of aromatic ointment and she broke the flask and what did she do? She knelt at his feet. She poured it on his feet and the disciples were going nuts. Lord, what's happening here? This woman is, it, number one, it's a woman touching you. And number two, she's wasting all this stuff on you. And what does Jesus say? Leave her alone. What she is doing is a good thing. She poured out her heart and her life and her dowry upon the Lord's feet in adoring him. Bless our God, adore our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad. This speaks of a very personal connection with God. It's not abstract. It's so interesting that, that on the one hand, God's deeds are awesome and inducing fear, right? And we want to stand apart and say, I'm not sure I can take this, God. But then we have this word, bless our God. Adore him. Be personally invested in your relationship with him. That is possible even with the awesome God. Why should God be praised? It says, and sound his praise abroad. Why? What do you read in the text? Why should he be praised? He keeps us in life. That's the answer right there. God is to be praised because he keeps us in life. And he does not allow our foot to slip. I love that phrase, he keeps us in life. It's, it's as if um, he, he, he keeps us well supplied. He keeps us well supplied with life and all the abundance of it. And then he goes on to say, you, you have tried us. You've refined us. The word tried means to test, especially metals. Now, you would think that it's the same word as refined, but it's not. He has tried us. This word, yes, testing metals. But it has, it has uh, 
the idea of melding metals together even. And I love that imagery because, because it speaks of the fact that God's testing, his examination of us is, is not, just to, uh, not just to write our score down. Understand that when God is doing that, he is melding us to himself. Isn't that glorious? We think of God testing us as putting us on trial. No, that's not what's going on. He's testing us so that he might meld himself to us. You've refined us. Again, that's, that's to purge away. And again, that also has this melding thought as well. This refinery that God puts us through. He examines and he purifies us. I see the gospel in this. <laughs> God knows our sin. He knows us inside out. He knows the impurities. But he's provided, he's provided purification. And how has he done that? He's done that in the crucible of the cross. This where the, 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 the heat of all judgment came to bear. And Jesus himself delivers us out of that with himself. Fused to him. It's got consecration and sanctification wrapped up in it. It's salvation, it's consecration, it's sanctification. It's God purifying us and fusing us to himself, giving us a new nature, conforming us to his image, the image of his son. Romans 8, 28, we know that verse very well, right? God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. 29 and 30 really need to be part of our vocabulary too. Because this is what it says. For those he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That whole package is part of what's going on here. <laughs> You've tested us. You've refined us, says the psalmist. Verse 11 and 12. You brought us into the net. Hmm. What does that mean? I think it's an allusion again to the captivity of the children of Israel. You brought us into the net. And you laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. Lord, we worked hard. This burden has been heavy. Ah. You made men ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water. Do you remember that, that passage from Isaiah 43 when you pass through the waters? What's he say? He doesn't say you're not going to pass through the waters. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Yeah. More than that, through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk on the, in the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's why. It's wrapped up in God's identity. That's why we can, we can walk with this confidence. Now, um, you brought us, you, we went through the fire and through the water, but you brought us into a place of abundance. 
One of the things that I think is, is important for us to understand as believers is that suffering, bearing suffering is part of God's work in our lives, period. It's not simply the handing off of abundance. If you want the fullness, expect expect there to be some suffering. That's, that's a piece of the gospel that is too often left out. The piece of the Christian life that is, is not taught in a lot of places. Why? Because it's a good sell to say God just wants to bless your socks off. He wants to do that over and over and over and again. And he's just going to pour out his blessing on you. You can expect it. Say amen. Stand up and shout hallelujah. Accept it. Amen. Speak hallelujah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> amen. Now, that will come with suffering. They are married together. When you pass through the waters, when, not you won't pass through the waters. When you walk through the fire, when you walk through the fire, not you won't walk through the fire. No. When you walk through the waters, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. There is blessing on the other side of it. And here in the end of chapter, verse 12, we see, yet you brought us into a place of abundance. Thank you, Lord. Now, what is abundance? What is abundance compared with nothing? It could be a wee little bit, right? It doesn't have to be the whole boatload. That's a piece of perspective that I think we need to grapple with. God may not trust us with the whole boatload. But after having nothing, anything is abundance, right? And anything with God's fingerprints on it is glorious. Now, the psalmist says, I promise to worship, Lord. In response to all of this, I promise to worship. Verse 13, I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay you my vows, which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts. With the smoke of rams, I shall make an offering of bulls and, and male goats. This is a pretty big promise, right? In light of God's greatness, in light of what he has done, the psalmist is asking, well, how do I respond? What do I do with this? Um, it's in interesting to note that when, speaking of offerings, a burnt offering, what was burnt? Everything except the hide. Burned up completely consumed. That's what an offering is. It's a complete, total giving of ourselves. And that's what God truly delights in. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, after Paul uncovers what the grace of God is all about in the first 11 chapters, he says, what's your response? He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You know that word spiritual service right there? Means in the original language, that's the only thing that makes sense. It's the only reasonable thing to do is to offer yourself completely to God. Furthermore, the psalmist says he's going to pay his vows. 
these, these vows that he made uh, with, when he was in distress. Ever made promises to God when you're in trouble? That's what this is talking about. Yeah. And again, it's this, it's this, uh, it's hard to, for us, I think, to identify with this idea of burnt offering. Jesus was our offering, thank the Lord. And he gave himself completely, didn't he? Oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is what he uttered in his dying breath. Jesus gave it all. All to him I owe. That is, that is, in that hymn, Jesus gave it all, all to him I owe. That is, that's the response in worship that the Lord delights in. A complete giving up of all to him. Now, verse 16 through 20, he he commits to witness for God. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. What? Yeah. But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. Um. Come and hear all who fear God. That's another call to worship, isn't it? But it's a call to believers. And it reminds me of the fact that, that the, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, folks, um, it's important for us to get together. It's important for us to stir one another up to good works. It's important for us to worship together. Paul speaks of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs um, and, and making melody in our heart to the Lord and doing that encouraging one another. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Come, all of you who fear God, and let me tell you of what God has done to me. Ever been at a place where, where testimonies just happen popcorn style? You walk out thinking, man, God can do anything, and he can, and he will. Um, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Verse 18, that is a head scratcher, isn't it? Does God hear the sinner's prayer? Yes, he does. So what is going on here? If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. What does it mean to regard wickedness in my heart? That's the question we need to ask. Regarding, giving regard to wickedness means giving my willful allegiance to wickedness. Giving my affections, my love to that wickedness before God. And you might ask, how in the world can that be? Ever tried to break a bad habit? That's how that works. Our affections are so connected with those things very often that steal life away from us that are not part of God's good pleasure. And that indeed is what is talk, the, the psalmist is talking about. If I regard wickedness in my heart, God's not going to hear my prayer. Isaiah chapter 1. Um, this is the vision of Isaiah before uh, he, was, he was to 
to minister to the generations uh, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. And he says, listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. Verses 14 and 15. God says, I hate your new moon festivals, festivals and your appointed feasts. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that you have married yourself to these, these other religions. And you've brought them into the, the house of God. And you are, we call that synchronistic worship. In other words, it's like synchronized gears. On the one hand, you have what God has ordained. And on the other hand, you have what is evil. And you try to blend them together. And that is, that is what Isaiah is, is, is uh, the Lord is, is speaking through Isaiah against. I hate your new moon festivals, your appointed feasts. They've become a burden to me. I am so weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply your prayers, I will not listen because your hands are covered with blood. That's what God is saying. If you blend, if you do not walk apart from those affections that are not pleasing to God, he's not going to hear that prayer. It's an intentional thing. It's not, it, does God, we return to that question, does God hear the sinner's prayer? He absolutely does, because what is the sinner doing? He's confessing before God, I'm wrong, and you're right. I need you in my life, and I can't survive without your forgiveness. That's a prayer that God hears. It's interesting, I, I, I want to read the rest of that chapter of Isaiah Chapter 1, verse 16. In response, God says this. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil, the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Stop it. Stop doing that thing. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Let us reason. Think about this. It only makes sense. Let us reason. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. They, though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's important to see that the psalmist didn't hang on to his sin. Verse 18, again, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard. That means that he hasn't hung on. He hasn't given his affections to wickedness. Rather, he's let that go. Certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away from my prayer. Again, blessed be God is that act of adoration. The first benefit of prayer is simply that God hears us. He hears us. It speaks of the vital, the very real a live relationship that we have with him as we pray, regardless of what his answer is. The first amazing thing is that God hears us. The second benefit is that the psalmist is to experience the mercy and the grace of God, assured that his offerings, his vows are accepted. Nor has his loving kindness has he taken or turned away? Excuse me. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. Weeks ago, we talked about the word loving kindness. Remember that? 
that beautiful word we love to say, chesed, chesed. Loving kindness. It's love that is committed. It is love that is unconditional. He has not turned that away. So here in this psalm, we see this integration between the corporate worship and the personal worship. And I have to say that as, uh, as believers today, um, it's not enough for us as Christians to just hang around the church and hope something rubs off. It's not enough for us to just be identified with corporate worship. It's important that we identify personally in our worship before God. Um, I, I was struck earlier as Andy was leading us in worship. Some of us don't know quite what to do with a, a situation where you can actually hear yourself sing. <laughs> right? We're not sure whether we should enter in or if we should uh, maybe just listen. We're tentative about that. And I guess I want to encourage you as worshipers of God Almighty to step in wholeheartedly even if it's quiet. Step in with your heart fully open. The opportunity to kneel before the, the God of the universe in adoration of him is something that he calls us to. It's born out of our gratitude for what he has done for us. It's personal. It's individual. And it's meant to be that way. Yes, it's corporate. We do it together. But it, the sum of its value is not there. The sum of its value is here. In our hearts, personally. We're out of time. We're not going to spend some time praying together tonight. And I'm sorry about that. But I feel like this, this psalm has so much to pour into us. I, I want to take the remaining two minutes and simply read Psalm 67. Because it fits in this flow. Psalm 67. God be gracious to us and bless us. And cause his face to shine upon us. What's that sound like? Sounds like the ironic blessing, right? In Exodus, where Aaron is given the exhortation to bless and place God's name on his people. It's important to see the word Selah there. It means pause. Consider this. Then verse 2. That your way may be known on the earth and your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. He reiterates that. He says it twice because that is God's ultimate end. It's not just God's people praising. It's all people praising. All people acknowledging the sovereignty of God. Verse 4 let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the people up with uprightness. You will guide the nations on earth. You will judge the people with uprightness. Have you ever, have you ever experienced judgment that just wasn't on the mark? Yeah. Many of us have. But we can be certain that in that final day, in that day of judgment, God's judgment is upright. It is not going to be, it's not going to be compromised in any way. 
not only is it set on righteousness, but it's delivered in righteousness. Let the people praise you, O God. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you. Sounds like verse 3, right? He says it four times. God, let it happen. Let it happen. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Would you take a look at verse 7? Why does God bless us? Is it because you're so cute? Yes. No, not, not just that we will fear him, but that all the ends of the earth will fear him. That's why God blesses us. So that the whole earth will know. Have you ever been wondering whether or not you should speak of what God has done in your life to others who don't know him? I, I ran into Dan Davenport after church on Sunday. And I just asked him this question. I've heard the stories. What's gone? What's going on with you? And he just started to rattle off how God has healed him from cancer. And not only that, how God individually spoke to him and reassured him. He said, I know that sounds crazy. It's never happened to me before. But I... I know that I know that I know I heard God's voice. And he said, you're healed. It just sends shivers down my spine. The power of that testimony that he cannot not share has affected I don't know how many people. Certainly the medical community that was involved with him. Oh, and let's say the neighbors. And let's say the guy across the street. And oh, the mailman. And the person at the checkout stand at the grocery store. And anybody who will listen. Verse 7. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Would you stand with me? Lord, we thank you tonight for this word that you are, you are praiseworthy, absolutely. But Lord, you want us to be the vessels of that praise so that the whole world will know so that the whole world will revere you, so that the whole world will honor you as God Almighty. Lord, would you move in our hearts this week? Open our mouth, open our eyes, open our ears to, to see and hear what you are doing, what you have done, what you will do, and to share that glorious news with those around us. And Lord, even as the, the writer of Hebrews exhorts us to stir one another up, Lord, would you help us do that? Some of us have become so, so stiff and afraid of, 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 of being vulnerable that we clam up and don't share what you've already done. Lord, would you unzip us from that body bag and let this resurrected life have its way with us? That's, Lord, that the whole world would know. Move on our hearts in that way. 
Help us, help us be your people that you have called and equipped. (laughs) And yes, even with the Apostle Paul, Lord, those people whom whom you have uh, given your glory to, those that you have justified and also glorified. Help us be those people. In Jesus' name, amen.